Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Well, again, good morning, and uh, so good to see each one of you this morning again. I, I love the start of fall. I love the, the cooler weather, the seasons that are changing, harvest time, the, the resuming of activities at the church, things like that. Even in this era of COVID, uh, I really do love fall. And uh, I suppose that's why I dressed like a pumpkin today. Uh, I was already accused by a few of you of, of doing that. So, <laughs> But I really do love fall. It is one of my favorite seasons. And uh, I really love here at church beginning confirmation classes again. I know that sounds uh, kind, of, kind of strange and different, but I especially love the, uh, the first-year students and the, the deer-in-the-headlights look <laughs> as you begin to go through all the requirements and all the things that you're going to learn this year, and uh, I love that. But it, it does get better, I promise. It does, all right. In our first year confirmation class, we study two major topics. We study the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed. And as I mentioned earlier this morning, Pastor Lloyd and I are going to be beginning a series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, we're going to be taking a commandment a week, and that should, uh, Lord willing, take us right up to Advent and the Christmas season. Uh, it's coming up fast, isn't it? Uh, but as we open up and as we begin to unpack the Ten Commandments, and especially the first of those Ten Commandments this morning, I believe that there are two realities that the Lord would have us see in this text. And the first reality is this. The Lord gave these words, the Ten Commandments, directly to his people. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, uh, not to Exodus chapter 20, but to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be studying the, the Ten Commandments from, from Deuteronomy because we, we studied chapter 4 a few weeks ago. We studied chapter 6 last week. And sandwiched in between there is the Ten Commandments. So again, if you have your Bibles, find Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word. I'll be reading verses 1 through 5 here. Reading in Jesus' name. And Moses summoned all Israel to them. And said to them, O hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I am speaking in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, with who are here and alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, well, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. You were afraid to go up into the mountain. We'll end there. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for today and thank you for your word. Your word is truth, and please sanctify us in that truth this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of every present heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
You may be seated. Moses gathers all of the Israelites together to hear for a second time God's law, God's covenant with his people. For the Israelites, this was a a reaffirmation of the covenant made between them and the Lord God. The covenant was first given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb here in Deuteronomy. And Brian, you read that text from Exodus chapter 20 that recounted the first time that the Lord gave those commandments to his people. And as I, as I mentioned again this, uh, earlier, we're going to be studying the Ten Commandments not from the Exodus account, but from the Deuteronomy account because we've been in chapter 4 and chapter 6. And so it's just kind of natural to uh, continue on with Deuteronomy as we've been talking about faith and home and making faith the primary place, or the, I'm sorry, making home the primary uh, place of faith formation. But, but right in between the, the chapters that we've studied the last few weeks is the Ten Commandments. Uh, a recommitment, if you will, to the basics of the faith. And one of the really fun things about the first time that the Lord made this covenant with his people at Mount Sinai, at Mount Horeb, is how it occurred. It was a face-to-face exchange, or as near to a face-to-face exchange as one can have with the Lord God Almighty. We have it in our minds that the Lord gave the Ten Commandments directly to Moses, who in turn told them to the people. And uh, I think you can see this up here, right? That's uh, a couple of scenes from the old Charlton Heston movie, right? The Ten Commandments, made back in the 1950s. And when I was growing up in in Sioux Falls, they would always play the Ten Commandment movie on, uh, I think it was Palm Sunday. And I could never make it that far because it's like a four-hour movie, isn't it? And you always fell asleep like halfway through and (laughs) you're never quite sure if the Israelites actually made it out of Egypt because they just kept falling asleep, right? (laughs) But, uh, But we have it in our minds that this is the picture of the Lord God there in that pillar of fire writing for, for, for Moses right here. You can see him on, on there just writing it just for Moses. Moses alone, right? But, uh, but the, when you read the account from Scripture, you'll notice some of the license that Hollywood took as they put that movie together. In the Exodus account, in Exodus chapter 20, and recounted in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Lord spoke the Ten Commandments directly to his people. Moses was in the crowd when the Lord spoke. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 4 says, The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of fire. And we get a fuller picture in Exodus chapter 20. Listen to this. I know Brian already read these words, but it's good to have them in our minds again. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us, lest we die. God was speaking directly to his people. They all heard his voice. They all saw the signs of his presence. The Lord was with them, and they were terrified. And rightly so, too. They realized God's holiness 
and their own sinfulness. And that's probably why they had Moses intercede between them and God after the Lord gave them the Ten Commandments. They knew that they could not stand before a holy and awesome God. And before we get too far along in our study of the Ten Commandments, I would, I would like us for a moment to pause and to count to ten. All right. <laughs> if we were actually in confirmation class, I'd probably have one of my confirmation students count to 10, but <laughs> I won't put any of you on the spot like that. <laughs> Counting to 10, right, is one of the first lessons that you learn, and toddlers often learn it even before they know their ABCs, right? Uh, but when it comes to the Ten Commandments, counting to 10 can be a little confusing at times. Did you know that when it comes to the different when it comes to the Ten Commandments, there are actually a couple of, of ways that they have been numbered. It's true. Among, among various faith traditions, there are variations on how exactly the Ten Commandments are numbered and enumerated. Uh, maybe you've gotten a plaque of the Ten Commandments as a confirmation gift, right? Only to discover that they're different than what you learned in confirmation. What is going on? <laughs> Uh, This morning, we read again in Exodus chapter 20 the account of the Lord giving all ten of his commandments directly to the people. And as the Lord spoke with his people, did he preface those commandments by saying, the first commandment is this, the second commandment is this? No, he he didn't. He he just left it and and he just said them. Uh, We do know for certain that there are ten commandments. Uh, For example, some of these verses here, Deuteronomy 4.13, as Moses is recounting to the Israelites all that happened on Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb, Moses reminds them of this, the Lord declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the ten commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And there are a couple of other places throughout the Old Testament where they are referenced that way. Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 10, things like that. The Ten Commandments. And the word that's used for commandments here is the Hebrew word words. All right? Dabraim, it means words. So we know that the Lord gave his people ten commandments, ten words. But he never spelled out how to number them. And so what are they? What are the ten words? What are the ten commandments? And I I didn't know of a a better way to do this. So I actually made a video uh, about the numbering of the Ten Commandments. So if that's ready to go, I'd like to take a look at that, and then we'll gather together and finish up the discussion. We are in the middle of upgrading our uh, sound equipment and uh, got about halfway there. No. <laughs> so. <laughs> Will we have audio or no? Okay. Well, here, let's do this. Let's play the video and I'll 
talk through it. How does that sound? <laughs> All right? <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll see if I can keep up with myself. <laughs> you can just pick it up from where it was there. Uh, basically, what I have here is I, is I have delineated out uh, the, the ten words. All right? You see them all there. And uh, I took them from the text, and I, I extrapolated them out and summarized them. And if you were to sit down and count, you'll actually find that there are 15 different words that the Lord gives his people. Uh, anywhere from the, the thou shalt to the thou shalt not to the uh, I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, don't take my name in vain, things like that. So there are 15 of them, and uh, I think I'm saying something like it's our job to not number them or get down to 10, but somewhere we have to go from those 15 to 10. And uh, there are varying, again, varying faith traditions as to how to do that. Um, the oldest one, obviously, being Judaism, where Moses, well, the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, right, to his people, to Moses, and things like that. And so the Jews have one way of numbering them. Uh, the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholics also have a separate way of numbering the Ten Commandments. And then we as Lutherans, uh, uh, of course, to be different, we have to do it differently as well, right? <laughs> Luther set out to reform the Catholic Church, and so when he did that, they got numbered differently, and the Greek Orthodox and, and the Roman Catholics were one up until like the 1050s AD, and then there was a huge split and things like that. Um, but then the Reformed, that's our, our Baptist brothers and sisters, and, and they say that Luther didn't go far enough in reforming the Catholic Church, and one of the things that Luther should have done more of is renumber the Ten Commandments, is what some of them say. And so, but it's interesting because the Reformed and actually the Greek Orthodox line up in, uh, in how they number the commandments. So you go to the synagogue and you ask, what's the first commandment? And they'll say, the first commandment is this, I am the Lord your God. For a Jew, that is the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. But the rest of us, we view that not so much as a commandment, but as a as an introduction, as a preamble, if you will, to the Ten Commandments. Um, and then so we get into it here, and, and the second commandment uh, is kind of numbered uh, this way here. This, the prohibitions against having other gods, making a carved image, not bowing down to them, not serving them. In Judaism, that's all lumped into one, because having a carved image, bowing down, serving them, uh, that's all akin to having a god. And so that is one commandment in Judaism. And the next one here is interesting, and we're going to spend some time later on this morning talking about it. For I am a jealous God. And again, nobody really sees that as a commandment, uh, but it's a very, very important part, really, of that, uh, of that commandment right before it's been called a lot of names. It's been called the appendix of the commandments. It's been called the close of the Ten Commandments. It's also been called the, the rationale of the Ten Commandments, and especially that, that first commandment there. And, and I like that term rationale. It's kind of a, a reason why. Uh, this is why uh, you shall have no other gods before me, for I am a jealous God. It, it ties in nicely with the commandment ahead of it. And then uh, just going on down the list there, we have these other commands as well. Uh, don't take his name in vain is number three in the Jewish numbering. Remembering the Sabbath is four. Honoring your father and mother is five. Uh, don't commit murder. Don't shed any innocent blood. That's uh, number six. Don't commit adultery is seven. Don't steal is eight. 
It took a lot of time to write those long lines across that sheet of paper, didn't it? <laughs> Don't bear false witnesses, nine. And then, uh, then you get down to the coveting commandments, coveting your neighbor's house, coveting your neighbor's wife. And again, because there are 10 commandments, those have to be lumped together into one commandment in the Jewish system. So there you have, yeah, the Jewish numbering. And then the Greek Orthodox and uh, the Reformed, they take that that beginning commandment there, you shall have no other gods, not make a carved image, not bow down to them, don't serve them. And they split that into two different commandments, all right? The first part being, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the second one is those next few there that are the carved image, the bowing down, serving them. That, that's all the second commandment. And again, if you go to Amazon or a Christian bookstore, you'll most likely find that as, that as the numbering. But then the rest of it is the same all the way on down through, through, the, through the Ten Commandments there. And uh, the Catholics and the Lutherans, we're, we're very similar in, in how we do our numbering. Uh, and again, we follow the way the Jews uh, do those, that first commandment, having no other gods. Uh, we see that as being the primary one, right? No other gods. And then everything else kind of underneath that, the carved images, the... Um, bowing down to them, the serving them, that all falls into or falls under, I guess, the, the heading of having no other gods before me and whatnot. So we, that's the way we look at that. We see that and we don't see any need to split that up because those are all tied together there. And then I don't know what I'm talking about there, but uh, <laughs> something about those commandments all being the same. <laughs> and then we, then we go on down, right? I am a jealous goddess, too. Remember the Sabbath, three, honor your father and mother, don't murder, four, on and on down the list. And, and uh, Catholics and Lutherans were the same all the way through on down there, five, six, seven, eight. And then uh, remember there are, there are 10 words, there are 10 commandments, and so that means we're left cutting up and dividing, splitting, if you will, that last coveting command there where uh, we're, we're, we're told not to covet our neighbor's house. In the Lutheran tradition, that's number nine. And don't covet your neighbor's wife. In the Lutheran tradition, that's number ten. And it's interesting, if you were to find a Catholic catechism, they actually do those backwards. The tenth and the ninth commandment are switched. All right, why? Uh, pretty simply because the Roman Catholics, when they looked at the Ten Commandments and when they put their catechism together, they went to Deuteronomy chapter 5 uh, to get the listing and the ordering of the Ten Commandments. As Lutherans, we went back to Exodus chapter 20, actually, and that's where we get our numbering. And those last two in Deuteronomy chapter 5 are switched. They're, they're different. Uh, the Lord puts uh, the, the don't covet your neighbor's wife before house in Deuteronomy chapter 5, but in chapter, Exodus 20, it's house before wife. Uh, so, yeah, there you have it, uh, the numbering of the Ten Commandments and why they're all different. And if you are interested, I think I do have some copies of that, uh, a much nicer version of that, <laughs> by the way. Uh, I'll have that at the back there uh, for you to take a look at and take home as well, too. All right, so that begs the question then, right? Which is the correct way to number the Ten Commandments? Which tradition numbers them correctly? And well, the Lutheran view, of course, right? <laughs> I couldn't be standing up here and, and not say that, right? <laughs> but in, in all reality, in all reality, I don't think 
that the numbering is very important. I think that the Lord, by, by purposely not giving us an order and by swapping the 10th and the 9th commandment around, I think the Lord is telling us that the exact numbering of them isn't important, but it's the essence of the commandments uh, that's very important. And whether we separate the command not to have idols from the command not to have any other gods or whether we join them together or whether we separate the coveting commandments or whether they're merged together, right? The important thing is that we, we remember the whole of it. The first commandment in our Lutheran tradition isn't rightly talked about unless the prohibition against making idols, bowing down to them and serving them is discussed. And if we start a discussion of the Ten Commandments that, that is not rooted in the character and nature of God, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery, out of the house of Egypt, if we don't recall the Lord's character and nature, we're missing one of the most important parts of the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. And so again, the numbering of them isn't important, but the essence of them is. And so that being said, Let's dive into the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. And, and we'll, as we do so, we'll see a second reality that the Lord wants us to understand. And it's this, that the Lord demands to be worshipped exclusively. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, reading on through verse 10. The Lord God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, as I just mentioned, a, a correct understanding of the Ten Commandments starts with a correct understanding of who the Lord is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That statement serves as, as a sort of preamble, if you will, to the Ten Commandments. It serves as an introductory statement that gives some reasons for and the intent of what's to come. In uh, the United States, we're probably most familiar with the, uh, with the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator, and so on and so forth, right? And then after all this long preamble, then they get into their declaring their independence, right? These, these words give uh, some semblance of what's to come, some reasons for why we broke away from England and fully ex expressed the intent of those 58 delegates who signed the Declaration. And in a similar fashion, there is a preamble to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This gives the reasons why the Lord is providing these laws for his people. First and foremost, he is the Lord. I am the I am that I am, God says. The creator of the universe, the Lord of all that exists. I am your God. And in this preamble, the Lord is reminding Israel that he's also their redeemer. 
Sorry about that font, by the way. Uh, The Lord is their redeemer. He redeemed them from their slavery in Egypt. For more than 400 years, Israel had been slaves by the Egyptians. And all that while, they pleaded with the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to rescue them, to save them from their bondage and their slavery. And the Lord did redeem them. He redeemed them with a, with a dramatic demonstration of his power, right, over the gods of Egypt. Each one of those ten plagues, the Lord was going to battle for his people. Each plague was defeating a different god of the Egyptians. And it was only after Pharaoh's own son died that Israel was, was allowed to leave, redeemed by the Lord. And then for Israel, the the final act of redemption came at the Red Sea as the Lord parted the waters of of the Red Sea and Israel walked through on dry ground while the Pharaoh's chariots and armies got stuck in the mud before the waters of the Red Sea collapsed and they all drowned. Israel's redemption was accomplished there. Israel was God's people. Israel was redeemed by the Lord. And do you know what, you believer? You have been redeemed by the Lord as well. Your redemption came in the, in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. It came in his blood shed for you. Listen to Peter, the disciple of Jesus, what he had to say. He said, You were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We were redeemed, Peter says, from our futile ways. We were redeemed, bought back, purchased from our sin and the death that our sin had earned us. We were redeemed, Peter says, not with silver or gold, but with something far more valuable. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ. Jesus, in his love for you, gave his blood on the cross for you. He took the punishment that, you, that your sins had earned. And he took it upon his body on the cross. He died in your place and on your behalf to bring you to God. And in Jesus Christ, you are presented to God without blemish, Peter says, without spot, completely clean. Christ's blood has washed away all of your sin. His grace is greater than your sin. His grace exceeds our sin and our guilt. Have you experienced that grace yet? I pray that you have. And if not, there's never a better time than this morning. Let him cleanse you of your sin in the blood of the Lamb. Israel's Redeemer, your Redeemer, Maranatha, the Lord God, wants to be the one and only one that we worship. In, in Israel, Egypt, I'm sorry, in Egypt, Israel was immersed in a very polytheistic society. Egypt has had dozens and hundreds of gods. Amun was the creator of the sun. Horus was the god of the sun and the sky. Nephtar was the god of grain. Ra was the sun god. Isis was the goddess of funeral rites and motherhood. I don't know how they put those together. Uh, Mat was the goddess who personified truth, justice, and order. There were hundreds of lesser gods and goddesses. And the pharaohs were even considered to be divine. And Israel, after they left Egypt, they didn't leave polytheistic religions behind. 
As they entered the promised land, each one of the nations that surrounded them worshipped a variety of gods as well. Each nation state had their own deities that became a snare to Israel, right? Baal, Moloch, Ashtoreth, all of those names that we're familiar with as we read the Old Testament. And all throughout the Old Testament, those gods are snaring the Israelites in their worship of the, of the one true God. And it was ultimately for repeated violations of this first commandment that the nations of Israel and Judah were sent off into exile. The Lord had told his people not to worship false gods, not to carve their images, not to bow down to them, not to serve them, not to have any other gods than him. But they constantly failed at that. And in the 21st century middle America, the church doesn't carve images into wood or stone of various deities. Um, we don't have many shrines that we prostrate ourselves in front of. We don't worship the Lord God on Monday and the God of Canada on Tuesday and you know, so on and so forth, right? But if there is one word that can summarize the religious and much to an extent the broader sociological climate of the 21st century, it's the word inclusive, right? You've probably heard that word so much lately that you're tired of hearing it. And inclusivity in and of itself isn't bad. We want to include everybody. We shouldn't purposely exclude anyone, right? But, but the word inclusivity has been hijacked by an ideology. And it's an ideology that argues that no one group of people has right to claim objective truth. And so we must include all viewpoints. Unless, of course, you claim to have objective truth and moral standards, then you're excluded from that group yet, right? But even in our age of inclusivity, the Lord reminds us and demands us that he wants to be worshipped exclusively. And so what does the observation of this commandment look like in a very inclusive society? How are we to abide by the Lord's demands for exclusive worship in an inclusive culture? And taking it even a step further, what does it mean to have a God? Now, the gloss for the the first commandment and for idolatry as a whole, right, is anything that demands and takes up more of your time than the Lord. Money and the pursuit of stuff, a job and the the ever-important tasks that only you can accomplish, right? Sports, anything from our, our kids' little league activities all the way up to professional sports and the athletes that play them can become an idol, can become a god, And although I I don't recall the last time that I watched an NBA game, I grew up, like most kids my age, right, watching Michael Jordan play basketball. And I, like most kids my age, wanted to be like Mike when I grew up. I remember watching and following the Chicago Bulls and their untouchable runs, right, in, in the 1990s. I even had my dad set up a basketball hoop in our garage uh, that couldn't have been over five feet high. (laughs) But I remember having him set that up because I wanted to practice shooting so I could be like Mike when I was old. And it would have been fair to accuse my 10-year-old self of idolizing Michael Jordan. Anything that has taken first place on the throne of our hearts is an idol, is a false god. This prohibition in the first commandment goes deeper, however, in his, in his large catechism, Martin Luther wrote this. He said, what does it mean to have a God? What is a God? And he says this. He says, a God means that, 
a God means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. Whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. And I think that definition is helpful. What we trust, what we have set our hope in, in the places and in the things that we flee to in our distress, those things have become our God. Many people put their trust in money or in their possessions. Having just enough money can often get you out of a, a tight jam, right? It can solve some of your problems. It could find answers to some tough questions, right? Having enough money allows you to purchase more stuff and to increase your possessions. And then the logic goes, the more stuff you have, the happier you'll be. But the reality is, is quite different, isn't it? Enough is never quite enough. Much wants more. Sufficient is never satisfied. A home that's just a bit bigger and in a better neighborhood. A car that's a little faster and and shinier. A body that is in peak physical condition, right? Phones that can take better pictures, that can scroll Instagram longer, that can even split the atom, right? These are just some of the things that we place our hope and our trust in. Jesus, however, warned us about putting our trust in stuff and in the accomplishments of life. Jesus said one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. They can never satisfy. They rust. They wear out. They break down. They become outdated. Or maybe going back to Luther's explanation here, we are expecting all good things to come, not from the Lord God, but from government and from our elected officials. If only the right person would get into office in November or could stay in office in November, right? Then things will be good. Or at least better than they are now, right? If only the right person is nominated and appointed to the Supreme Court, then we can be, be, begin to expect good things to follow and to flow, right? Jesus said one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. He also said this. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. The Jewish people of Jesus' day were looking for a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman government and the Hellenistic culture of the day, all while setting up an earthly Jewish kingdom with Judaism as the law of the land. But Jesus' kingdom, as he told Pilate, was not of this world. It was and forever will be a spiritual kingdom. And I think that we can put too much stock in elections and in government officials We forget that these men and these women are just like us, fallen sinners who are in need of a Savior, who are in need of Jesus. And they will eventually, like many other people, eventually fail us and will let us down. And yes, I I do believe we we have the great privilege in the United States of choosing our elected officials, right? And I do believe we live on the greatest nation on God's green earth. No one has ever enjoyed the freedoms that we have in this nation. But yet we need to remember the Lord's warning to King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Babylonian king who exiled the Israelites from Jerusalem. He said this, he said in the dream, The Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he wills and sets over it the lowliest of men. Kings and presidents, dictators, governors, senators, representatives, whether you're Republican or Democrat or anywhere in between, right? You're going to remember to do well this simple truth. The Lord God, the Most High, He is sovereign over all of His creation, including kings and kingdoms.
and a revival and a resurgence of Christianity and Christian values, it can't be legislated into culture. These things must come from the church, must come from you and I, from believers who are so in love with our Redeemer King that we can't help but share his love with others. We need preachers who will, who will continue to unapologetically share the word of God and the gospel. And these things can't come from our politicians. And regardless of what happens in November, the Lord is still on his throne. He is still in control. He is sovereign. And he demands that we worship him alone. And so why? Why does the Lord have that right to our exclusive worship? Why do Christians need to worship the Lord alone? And here's the reason why. Our God is a jealous God. Look again at verses 9 and 10. Kind of picking it up in the middle um, of that there. It says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who, keep, who love me and keep my commandments. Oops, I'm sorry. In these verses, this word, this part of the Ten Commandments serves a unique function. Again, it's been called, I said, the close of the commandments or the appendix. The, the, but I like the, the phrase, the rationale. It explains why the Lord God demands our exclusive worship. He is a jealous God. And the truth that God is a jealous God is better understood when we stop and we define a couple of words. Uh, jealousy and envy. Coffin, co uh, culture often confuses those two words and uses them wrongly as synonyms. But these two words don't mean the same thing. They, have, they actually have vastly different meanings. Uh, envy is what you feel, right, when your coworker receives the promotion instead of you. Uh, you might feel envious of the farmer who has had no major equipment breakdowns and is having a flawless harvest. Uh, you're, you become envious of somebody else's good looks and all the attention that they receive. Envy is wanting something that you do not have. Envy is, is a violation of the ninth and the tenth commandment against coveting. Jealousy is a little bit different. Jealousy involves protecting what you already have. If the, if the neighbor starts making eyes at your wife, you would be right to be jealous for your wife's affection. She is your wife, not your neighbor's wife, right? Your neighbor is envious, coveting what you have, and you are right to be jealous for what is yours. And the Lord God is jealous for the affections, for the worship of his people because we are his. He has redeemed us. He has sent his son to die for us. And the Lord has every right to be jealous for us and for our attention and for our love. You shall have no other gods besides me, says the Lord. And, and the rest of the Ten Commandments that we're going to begin to unpack these next weeks, they, they naturally follow this. If we can get this down, we won't have any other issues with the, uh, with the other commandments. If we could worship the Lord al alone, love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then, then the rest would follow. But it's hard. We fail. We fail often. We, we trust in things other than Christ. We look to places besides the Lord for refuge. We, we expect good to come from other sources other than God. 
And when we realize that we're not following his commands, we repent and we return to him. He forgives us and he cleanses us of our sin. And we do this again and again and again, daily, living in daily repentance and faith until he returns or calls us home. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for your word and for what you have for us in these ten commandments, in these ten words. Father God, and we confess that we do not put you above all things in our lives, that other things constantly take our time and our attention. We look to other things for our, for our good, and we trust in them other than you. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us of that. Help us to trust you and you alone with all of our life, with all of our being. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.